0: Thank you for joining us for this DP City Church podcast. Connect, grow, serve. All right, get your Bibles out. Say this with me out loud. This is my Bible. It's the living Word of God. Has the power to change lives. And I declare by faith that my life, and the life of those around me will be changed, be changed by the Word. Go to the Gospel of Mark chapter 4, Gospel of Mark chapter 4. By the way, I want you to know the staff created, I found out this week, a, um, a t-shirt that has our saying on that that we say every Sunday morning before we jump into the Word because we believe that, you know, God's Word changes lives, doesn't it? Yes. Did it change your life? Yes. Is it still changing your life? No, yes. oh, that's right. God's Word is scary because it scares the hell out of people. It does. You read the Word and hell trembles at the power of the Word. Hell shakes. Hell trembles at the power of the Scriptures. You know, I want to make a a, a real quick allude to um, Dr. Frank again. As he comes here, and he's going to be here in uh, the Sunday evening after Easter, the week after easter and um, you're going to hear some amazing things that you probably will not hear on television because they ain't going they ain't going to push it but he has literally exposed voter fraud and this is not about democrats or republicans this is not a political gathering this is simply about showing people how elections have been not just Recent ones have been stolen through electronics. If you know anything about algorithms, you know that with the proper algorithm, you can change anything on a computer. They can invade your computer, everybody else's computer, and he will actually show you. He's going to do, as Pastor Susan said, he's going to do a study. He's already working on a study about the voter fraud in Riverside County. He just finished San Diego. He's going county to county all throughout the nation, wherever he's invited, and he's exposing. He'll literally show us how fraud took place, and he will teach you how you can find out how many people voted in your house. They've actually found people. They found one couple, a couple, a husband and a wife living in a house. They looked it up, and they found out 10 people voted at their address. And so it's about taking the nation back to integrity, back to integrity, and it's simply, he he reveals an incredibly simple way to expose the lies that are taking place. And again, it's not a political rally, it's about a rally for our nation's integrity. Got it? You are not going to want to miss this. I'm passing it on to the other pastors in the community. Okay, um, today we're going to take another look at one of the stories in the Scriptures that are so very important and and how it applies to us today, 2,000 years later. We're going to read something that you've read before. And uh, actually, everything in the Scripture is relevant. Everything in the Scripture relates to today. Even though what we read here in the New Testament is 2,000 years old, it's relevant for today. Do you believe that? Three of you believe it. The rest of you are trying to figure it out, okay? If you believe it, say amen. Amen. Okay, just want to make sure I got the right crowd. So, um, it's always relevant and pertinent. And one of the keys to the teachings of Jesus that we're going to be reading about is their likeness to the kingdom of God. Jesus taught parables and teachings about issues and circumstances in life, but they always related to the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God relates to our personal lives. The kingdom of God is not simply out at a distance someplace. Listen to what I'm going to say. The kingdom of God is not simply just out at a distance someplace. When you invited Jesus Christ into your life With him came the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has taken residence inside of you. And so we're going to begin to see something at how the kingdom of God is on earth. It's on earth today, and it's on earth inside of us if we'll let it be. So if we read the Bible as something that just happened a long time ago, we'll never find out how it fits us and how it relates to us. And so when we understand it's unintentionally voided and irrelevant, when we see it as something that happened in the past, if we let it be, if we read it and let it be in the past, you void its importance to yourself. And so in Mark chapter four, we're going to see this. We're going to begin to watch. Are you in Mark chapter four? Okay. And I want to say this before we read this. Jesus taught the kingdom of God. Everything that Jesus taught related to the kingdom of God. He didn't teach anything that wasn't about the kingdom of God, Uh, whether it's in us or in other people or whatever the situation. As a matter of fact, when Jesus taught the kingdom of God, he taught it. One of the examples he gave is a, a, a kernel of corn, just one single kernel of corn. If you look at a kernel of corn, what you see is a picture of the kingdom. Okay, now give me the, nope, give me the kernel. So, a kernel of corn. Now, he also used it as a mustard seed. Y'all remember that parable, okay? So, he's talking about how small things relate to big issues. Small mustard seeds turn into giant trees. We've talked about that before. Don't see any one of the issues in scriptures that Jesus taught as too small to be relevant for today. It relates to us today. So with each of these, there's a multiplication process. Whatever Jesus taught, he had taught it with the intention for it to multiply. That's why he used seeds and trees and agriculture issues. He's never, he never taught anything that he didn't plan for it to grow. If it grows, then it grows on the inside of us. And so, in the process, what we're going to talk about is with each of us, it's about multiplication. It's about multiplying truth that we already know. Sometimes I think Christians read truth out of the Bible and they go, okay, I got that. Okay, maybe you did get it, but now the process is how do you multiply it? How do we grow in a truth we already know? If we just say, okay, I got that one. Then we're gonna miss its relevance and the principle. So in Mark chapter four, we're gonna start in verse 33. Watch along now. And it says in verse 33, and with many such parables spoke he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. Stop right there. Now it's very important that you understand. He says that as they were able To hear it. In other words, there's a contingency on what we read in the scriptures and how we're able to apply it. Our ability to apply something is relevant to how we relate that issue. How do you relate that issue to yourself? And so he's talking about the contingency uh, of not just being intellectual, but spiritual. How do we relate the teachings of Jesus and the spiritual side of our life, not just so we know it? It's an 18-inch move. It's got to move from here to here. And the way it moves from here, something you know, to something you understand, is you do it. Does that make sense? So in other words, we have to do it. So now it's interesting that there's a he matter of fact, Jesus made a statement. Listen to this. I'll, I'll, I'll just quote it for you. Media put it up. John 16, verse 12. Watch this. He said, I have yet many things to say unto you. Now watch what he's going to do. But you cannot bear them now. Interesting word. He says, You can't bear them now, howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, who's that? That's the Holy Spirit. Remember the spirit of truth is come he will guide you into all truth for he shall speak he will not speak of himself but whatsoever he shall hear that shall he speak and he shall show these things that are to come so in other words he says there's a contingency can you bear it can you encouragement truth that you're reading now this is not a beat down this is an encouragement to see truth and how it fits us for today. Now, bury it now is important. Walk it out. Do it. He says, if you're, if you're going to bear it, then you're going to do it. You're going to learn it, and then you're going to do it. And if you learn it and it's here and it doesn't go here, it's you didn't do it. And if you didn't do it, it doesn't matter if it's here. It doesn't make any difference to him. Does that make sense? Now, this is not a beatdown. This is not a beat down. It's very important because it gets really good as he goes on in here. Seeing you cannot see, he says, and hear it, but you never apply it. He says, how much do you, you, you read your Bible and you see it, but you never apply it? I'm not beating you down. I'm, we all deal with it. But what he's saying to the disciples is, if you hear what I'm teaching you, I'm counting on you doing something with it. I'm counting on you applying it because it'll make a difference. To whom more is given, Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. In other words, I'm going to give you something, now I'm requiring of you that you do something with it. So it's not that just we read our Bible and say, okay, now I read this. But if we read it and say, okay, now, how does this apply to Bob? What am I supposed to do with this? It's called relationship with the Word. Does that make sense? I have a personal, you have a personal relationship with the Scriptures. This is alive. It's the living Word of God. That's why we say that every Sunday. It's alive. And if I get into it and apply my life to its life, its life will change my life. Shall we close in prayer? I mean, that's huge. That's huge. That I take the life of the Word and I apply it to my life and it changes my life so my life li- lives like the life Jesus wanted me to live. That's what he meant when he says you can't bear it right now. So he says, I know people, man, you could slap them on the back and they'll belch your verse, but they can't do it. They can't do it. They can't live it. So in, in the process, let's skip on now. Let's go to verse 34. But without a parable spake he not unto them, and when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. When they were what? They were alone. When they were alone. You got to get alone, spend some time. If the only thing you learn out of the Bible is what you get out of church, you're not even getting what you really need. I can't give you what you need because your needs are unique, because you're not normal. Okay, no more abuse after that. Okay. It's to the degree of the relationship we have with the scriptures because it's alive. It's alive. It's sitting on your nightstand. It's sitting on your desk. It's, sitting your, on, it's on your phone. Wherever it is, it's alive. And so, to, to the degree that I want a relationship with the truth, that's what he's saying to his disciples. Remember, we're listening to a conversation that he is sharing with his disciples, saying, Guys, listen to me. Listen to me, guys. The things I'm teaching you are alive, and they can change you. Now, church group, family group, intimacy with God, the whole thing is about us, you and I, learning to listen to what he says to the disciples. He said I, he would expound all things. He said, I'm going I'm to share with you whatever it is you need. I, he says, I will show you in my living word. Everything that you need. He's always ever ready to show us what we need. The problem is, we all have it, myself included. We get ourselves in situations and we don't stop and say, What does the word say about this? What does the word say about this? What does the scripture say about the issue I'm going through? What does the Bible say about how I'm dealing with a crazy nation? What does the Bible say about how I'm dealing with a crazy employer? What does the Bible say about how I'm dealing with crazy employees? What does the Bible say about everything that's in life? Because every issue in life is handled in the Scripture. There's nothing you and I go through that isn't in the Bible. There's an answer there somewhere. So, say, well, how am I going to find it? Read it. He says, I'm all, again, this is not a beat down, but it's all, he's always ready. He says, I'm always ready. The scripture, the Holy Spirit's always ready. All you got to do is stop and ask. Now, I don't know about you, but I've asked questions that I haven't gotten answers for. Anybody have, am I the only one? Please tell me I'm not the only one who has this problem. Okay. Usually the reason is, is because. I'm asking the wrong question. Does that make sense? Okay, so you understand that he wants to give an answer. Watch what he says in verse 35. And the same day, when the evening was come, he said unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. He says, come on, guys, we're going over. They're on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, and he says, we're going over to the east side of Galilee, okay? So they're, they're kind of watching out for him to see what he says. And so what he does is he says, we're going to leave here. And there were, they had a boat, and they had a large boat. They didn't have a small boat. They had a large boat. And the kind of boats that Peter used for fishing, they were not small. But there were a bunch of other small boats around them. And with these other little boats... They all set out across the sea. Now, when they set out across the sea, it's calm because no one in their right mind will set out across the Sea of Galilee when it's a storm. doesn't do that, okay? And so, what's interesting in verse 37, it says, And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship that it should not be full. Now, it's interesting, in the previous verse, it says that there were a bunch of other smaller boats along with them. So, in other words, when they get into Peter's boat, let me, uh, media, pull me up the large boat. That's not a boat. There's a large boat. That was literally unearthed in, uh, within the last decade at the Sea of Galilee, okay, okay? That's, that's the size of a boat. I, there's another picture. I don't know if I gave, if I gave it to him about, uh, yeah, there you can see the actual size of it. Okay, that's a, that's a fair-sized boat. Uh, they didn't use little teeny little boats, but there were a bunch of other little boats that went along with them, okay? And so in the process, they take out across the sea with Jesus, and there are a bunch of other people following them, okay? Pick it up, Verse 38. And he was in the hinder part of the boat, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and they said unto him, Master, don't you care that we're going to perish? I mean, come on, he's in the boat too, okay? Listen, don't you care, aren't you concerned that I'm not going to make it if I don't find a job? I'm not going to make it if I don't find a better apartment. I'm not going to make it if, 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 if. What you got to ask is, who's in your boat? Who's in your boat? See, Not how big is the storm. Who's in your boat? And the biggest issue you can ask in your life is, who's in your circumstance? And how far into our circumstances have we allowed him to come? to give place to Him. Now, you know the story. You know what happens. They're on the Sea of Galilee. Now, I want to show you a, a classic example of this. The Sea of Galilee is almost identical in size and shape. Not exactly. Almost identical in size and shape to our valley. Let me show you a picture. Okay? There's the Sea of Galilee. Now, Here's a picture of our valley. Here we go. Now, almost per mile, exactly the same thing. If you stand on a Ramona Bowl, you can look out over the valley, and you can see the Sea of Galilee. It's not that far from here to San Jacinto. It's not that far, unless you're in a storm. And you put it into perspective. You put this whole issue into perspective. And so now, here's the deal. They wake him up. Jesus, don't you care? We're going to drown? Let me me give you... Bob, get this clue, Bob. If Jesus is in your boat, you ain't going to drown. Okay? If Jesus is in your circumstance... You're not going down. Now, it may not stop the storm, but you're going to make it to the other side. You're going to get to where you're supposed to be and you're going to do what you were designed to do because you hung with Jesus. You got him in your boat ahead of time and you got him involved in your circumstances. And so you understand that it says in verse 39 and he arose. And he rebuked the wind, and he said unto the sea, Stop, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. That must have been amazing. It's just like, Now, I want you to understand, storms came up in those days, but they didn't come up like they normally would come up in a natural lake. The Sea of Galilee is different. This was not a storm with clouds and rain. This was a wind storm. There's a cliff. We've been, Pastor Susan and I, have been there a number of times to the Mount of Beatitudes, which is on the side of the Sea of Galilee, where they left from. They had just preached in the, from the, this section of the Sea of Galilee, and they were headed to San Jacinto. And it was evening time. And they sent the crowd away, ministered to everybody, and everybody gets in the boat, and they take off. And it's calm. They would have never left. If there were clouds and rain and that. they wouldn't have done that. So they take off when it's calm. And all of a sudden, a windstorm comes up. Now, these are common, and they could turn the Sea of Galilee in a matter of minutes into a raging storm that could sink a boat that side. And in the process, they're out someplace I don't know, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is conked out. Nada. He is so and Z's, okay? He's on a pillow, and he's asleep, and all of a sudden the wind kicks up. And this wind would come through a, a cliff. Immediately Show me that, that um, cliff. There's a cliff. There's the Sea of Galilee right there. It's kind of a grainy picture. But there's a cliff. There's a wedge. Same thing on the opposite side. I couldn't find both sides. The wind would pick up on the west side of the Sea of Galilee and hit that crevasse, and it would, like, accentuate, accelerate the wind, and it would, boom, in a matter of minutes, turn the Sea of Galilee into a raging storm. No clouds, just waves. And in the process, here they are, caught in the middle of this, and they're saying, Jesus, don't you care? Okay, Now, we've already kind of cleared that issue up. If he's in the boat, you're doing good. Okay, and you're, But here's the issue. Jesus gets up and he goes, okay, guys, <laughs> stop, and the wind <laughs> stops, brings it down to a calm. Now it's calm, now it's very quiet, and you can imagine what the other little boats must have been thinking. Thank God he did that. <laughs> and I'm not Catholic either. And they began to think, what in the hallelujah course happened? In the process, they finished the journey. Now stay with me. They finished the journey and they get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And who's waiting for them? The man from Gadara. The man who was so demon-possessed He controlled a whole region. A whole region of people were now under the oppressive, demonic force of a man who had inside of him. Six thousand demons inside of him. This man, you read about it, he ruled this region. He had an ironclad grip on this region. Now, let me back up a little bit. Well, then where did the storm come from? It was calm when they left. Let me, let me project something to you. When God is getting ready to do something, the enemy usually senses it. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on, if you, if, you, if you figure this out, you understand sometimes when the enemy starts to rage, it's time for you to stop and think, uh-oh, God's up to something. Because, you know, the enemy's out. He understands. Here's what's going to happen in this story. The enemy, the devil, Lucifer, Slewfoot, Big Red, whatever you want to call him, he knows, oh, no. Jesus is now on his first journey. He's not gone there before. He is now taking himself and the disciples to Gadara. And he knows he's got to stop. What does he do? He knows what's going to happen if Jesus gets there. Are you with me? So, what does he do? The devil stirs up a storm. How many storms in our life? Do we blame God for when God's just trying to say what you're going through is just a precursor to what I'm going to do through you if you'll just ride out the storm in faith if you'll just ride out the situation do the devil knew he was about to lose his prized possession He knew if Jesus gets over there, he's going to to loose this man of 6,000 demons, and he's going to, the devil's going to lose his control of a region. Go read the story. What you'll find out in the story is that Jesus sets that man free. 6,000 demons (claps) evacuated, at one word, gone. And they flee into the pigs, and the pigs go into the ocean. There's a whole other issue there I don't have time to deal with, but I do want to say this. I want to say that whenever something goes wrong, God's up to something. People say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Listen, in, in your situation and in your circumstances in life, God's not, just put, not putting you through something. That's not the way God works. People say, well, okay, well, well, God wants me to learn something, so he's going to step on me, and then to step on me hard to get my attention. Listen, our Heavenly Father doesn't have to beat you up to get your attention, unless you're stupid. Are you with me? You know what I mean by stupid? I'm not talking about intellectual. You're not paying attention. You're not paying attention because so many issues in life come at us and we think, God, why am I going through this? Now, don't get me wrong. I've got 20 stitches in my head. I had another 20 on the side of my face. It's not God's fault. But you understand that when you go through situations in life, that's when you stop and say, what is it you want and what do you need from me? Because when I come out on the other side of this, I'm going to come out as a winner, not a loser. Because my God is a winner, and He's made me a winner. And so Jesus does the very thing the devil didn't want Him to do. He sets the man free. And in setting the man free... I'm sure the disciples must have had some kind of conversation when they got back on the other side of the sea. It's like, guys, can you believe that? That storm and what came after that? There must have been some incredible lessons there. To understand that no matter what you're going through in life, God has not abandoned you. He's he's doing something. People say, well, he's allowing something. I, th- I don't think God allows anything. I think he does things intentionally. Uh, if God allows things, it's kind of like he's condescending. He's, total, he's in total charge. Come on. Is he in charge or not? He's in charge. And so we begin to say, okay, in this whole issue, what is it you want? You see, so much happened in that story if you read about when he sets the man from Gadara free, and you've heard me talk about this before. When he sets this man free, the first thing he says is, "Jesus, you got to let me go." Man, Jesus, these people, they hate me. I have tormented them. I have tortured them. They hate me. They want nothing to do with me. Jesus, I see you're getting in the boat. And I see you're taking the disciples, and you're going back to the other side. Please, Jesus, I'm begging you, take me. I'll have you on CNN by 6 (laughs) o'clock. I mean, my testimony is going to be incredible. And Jesus says, I don't need your testimony. I don't need your testimony. They do. And you know what's amazing about the whole thing? Can you imagine the insanity? Well, it tells us, you go read, uh, you read on a couple of chapters down the road, and what happens is the man goes back into Gadara. All this came out of a storm that the disciples thought they were going to die. And we forget about all the other little, bo- little boats that made it over there. How many folks... In rowing in their little boat, following Jesus now. It's called rowing. They get to shore, and who's standing there waiting? I picture Jesus' big boat getting out of the big boat in a bunch of little boats, sitting there going, oh, we've heard about this guy. Like, they're rowing backwards now. Okay? <laughs> they're getting out of the way, but at a distance, what are they doing? They're watching the man get delivered. And so the man says, I'll have you on CNN by 6 o'clock. He says, no. You go back and you show everybody the good things that I have done. God has done for you. Now, he goes back. He goes back, but it wouldn't have gone well. There's no way that's going to go well. Can you see him walking back into town? Walking down Florida Boulevard? Crowds are parting, people are leaving, everybody's he probably went home to his parents. And the door was locked. They don't want anything to do with him. He's got to deal with the insane rejection. But he deals with it. And he goes back and he shows people the good things God had done for him. He goes back. And he shows them the goodness of God, and they're looking at him going, it can't be. It can't be, man. He can't be the same dude, man. It can't be. And one by one, walking down the street, can't get anybody to sell him any food. When he goes to the well, nobody, everybody scatters. Nobody will give him a bucket. But after a while, people start realizing this is really, really real what God had done in his life, they're thinking wait a minute. Now, if you go several chapters later you'll find that Jesus turns around and goes back to the region of Gadara. And when he gets back to Gadara in chapter 7 the whole region is waiting for him. And they brought the sick and the lonely and the broken and the wounded why one man who gave the truth about his his word and God's word and the testimony is this you may not have been the man from gadara but your testimony counts and people are watching Come you and they're watching how you deal with your circumstances and they're watching how you deal with your storms and you think they don't know, but they know and they're tracking you because they want to see what you're going to do because they're putting Jesus on trial through your life and mine. They are trying his grace by how I deal with it. And when I end up going through something, I end up, you end up dealing with something. God is after somebody else. He didn't make you sick. He didn't give me cancer on my head. I was a fool. I didn't listen to my wife. And Susan said, Amen. But do you understand it in the process? Oh, she's gloating now. Okay. I'm going to pay for that now. But you understand that whatever it is you go through in life, God is big enough and gracious enough to find a way to use what you're going through to give himself glory if you just give him a place. You just give him a place and realize that it's all there for you. How many people in all of those little boats got back to the other side and started spreading the word? Guys, process, idea what happened in Gadara. And so in the process, What we learn about here is what we do with the truth of the scriptures, how we apply what the Bible says to us and how we live it out, not religiously, but just to hear and read his words and say, what what is this saying to me? How does this relate to me? How does this focus on me and what I do with my life? And that when you read your Bible and you listen to sermons, you listen to tapes and you, you, you do whatever it is. It's the living Word of God. And it has the same, you know, Susan has me taking probiotics all the time. I don't even know what probiotics do. I don't even know. She has me taking, they do something to Bob. I don't know what it is. (laughs) Right? Okay. Are probiotics good? Okay. 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 So, So they're doing something good. I never can feel it. I don't feel a thing. How many times is the scripture a spiritual probiotic? You read it, you absorb it, and you get yourself ready. This, one's a, this is a gig now. This is the hard part. You get yourself ready for the next storm. Because when that storm comes, economically, socially, morally, ethically, whatever the case is, when that storm comes, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, give him a praise. So in the process, what do we do with our lives today? You know, you're going through something physical, maybe financial, maybe relational, whatever it is. Prayer works. Prayer makes a difference. We always have people up here on the, this side of the line. We put this line in the carpet. Most of you already know this. Put this line in the carpet very specifically because the Lord said to. Put a line in the carpet, and that's a place where people are going to put their toes on the line, and they're going to ask God for something in their life, and they need a miracle. And that's a miracle line. That's not in the carpet. The miracle is not the carpet, okay? The miracle is in the fact that you're ready to accept or embrace the fact that you need a miracle, and you're ready for prayer. And there are going to be people on this side of the line here to pray for you because prayer works. Prayer makes a difference. How many of you think the disciples were praying in the boat while Jesus was asleep? Huh? <laughs> I, think, I, think that, I think some of them were speaking in tongues and didn't even know what it was, okay? Because <laughs> they think they're going to die. But in the process, God is in the midst of your situation and circumstance. And there will be people on this side of the line this morning, and they're here to pray for you, financial, emotional, relational. But one last thing. Do you know where you're going when you die? I didn't ask you if you're a Christian. I didn't ask you to go to church. I didn't ask you if you read your Bible. I didn't ask you if you believe in Jesus. I asked you, do you know where you're going when you die? Because you're going to die. And when you do, there's only two choices. There's eternal life with God or eternal death. And you have to make a choice. And that choice is a decision that you allow Jesus to come into your life and give you the confidence of eternal life. He has the words of life. He has the spirit of life. So it doesn't matter how much church you have in you, how much Bible you read, how much religion you know. What matters is, do you understand that there's eternal life and eternal death? There are no options. There's no neutral ground. There's no safe zone. You go one way or the other, and that moment when you draw your last breath and you step out of your physical body, you're going one way or the other, and there's no neutral zone. Say, well, wait a minute. I grew up in a, as a Christian family. I, I, again, I'll say it one more time as politely as I can and that you're going to be with it. The only way you can know where you're going when you die that you're going to be with Jesus is that you invite him into your life and you ask him, Give me the assurance of eternal life. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Save me from the wrong place and take me to the right place. Would you bow your heads, please? Thank you for joining us today at DP City. We would love the opportunity to pray for you. And you could connect with us at dpcitypod at gmail.com. If you'd like to give tithes and offerings at DP City Church, you could do so on our website, www.dpcitychurch.com. We appreciate your support in this ministry and looking forward to seeing you on campus. Have a blessed day.